Right now, we're, we're at 17% over capacity. It carried over from this year's budget into next year's budget. The Department of Corrections director lays out the condition of the prisons to a committee that determines their annual budget. It reduces one budget item, makes it up with money from a previous fiscal year, then allocates $7 million new dollars. I think we are playing with fire. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. Budgets are complicated, but through several committee meetings, an appropriation for Iowa's correctional facilities is ready to be debated on the House floor. Department of Corrections anticipates adding about 200 employees and the money's there to hire the people. Recently, a bill passed in the House to allow licensing of midwifery in Iowa. We need this licensure bill so we can practice within our full scope. It would establish a midwifery board, but as the bill comes to a Senate committee, it's dismantled. We should not jump ahead first into establishing a board that is stacked with four members requiring certification by the North American Registry of Midwives. And the seemingly annual tradition of bills changing Iowa's four decades container redemption law works through the process. One passes a Senate subcommittee. We all know the redemption centers have been starving for years and they have been closing for years. But when it comes to the full committee, it's amended to be a very different bill. We also need to move something that the House can accept and uh, consider in a in a sincere manner. I'm John Pimple. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending March 18th, 2022. Iowa Public Radio has the cure for your endless scrolling. The IPR app. The latest news, your favorite music, fresh podcasts, they're all a tap or two away. With newscasts updating throughout the day, the latest stories every time you open the app, and live streams of your go-to station, You get only what you need to know when you need to know it. So stop the scroll. Get the IPR app. Today we have the Department of Corrections, uh, Dr. Skinner. Throughout the session, department directors address appropriations committees about their goals and explain more about their budget. In February, the House Appropriations Committee heard from the director of the Iowa Department of Corrections, Dr. Beth Skinner. We've been through some very challenging times the past two years, especially this last year. We're moving up on a year anniversary of the murder murders of our two staff, Lorena Schulte and Bob McFarland. On March 23, 2021, two staff members from the Anamosa Correctional Facility were killed by two inmates during an escape attempt. One thing I want people to understand that corrections is a big agency, and when big things like this happen, it takes time. But our staff are committed to making the necessary changes to make our prisons safer. In 2021, there were staff vacancies at the Anamosa facilities. The increase for funding the Department of Corrections in fiscal year 2021 was $540,000. Last year after these killings, a leader of the union for the penitentiary employees said worker safety was compromised due to inadequate staffing and funding. For fiscal year 2022, which ends on June 30th, the corrections budget was increased by $20 million. Director Skinner says there are still many vacancies through the entire system. Currently, we have 288 prison vacancies. We have 203 correctional officer, senior correctional officer vacancies. We have 90 vacancies in the CBCs, community-based corrections, and 78, about 78 are full-time. The other ones are are part-time. For fiscal year 2022, the amount of money projected to be spent for overtime pay is $9 million. 
Prior to the pandemic, we averaged about 3.5 million in overtime. And I can tell you, your question behind your head is like, what is the difference and what has changed? Um, what I would tell you is COVID um, in terms of people being out sick and then have to cover shifts. In spring 2020, Skinner says there were 8,500 people incarcerated in Iowa's prisons, which is 22% over capacity. This year, the number is lower. Right now, we're, we're at 17% over capacity. And again, at, at prior to the pandemic, we were 22% over capacity. So we're moving back in that direction. And part of the reason the number is likely to increase. And in FY 2021, and part of this year, we're seeing admissions or outpacing releases. The number of prisoners as of March 17th is 8,237, with around 2,450 staff at those correctional facilities. Skinner says they are working on better ways to recruit new staff and retain who they have. do have some money. Money is left over from the, the $10 million. $9.8 million remains from fiscal year 22. This new budget proposal will roll that money into fiscal year 2023. It carried over from, from this year's budget into next year's budget. Uh, it will be in the base. It is in the base. Which means $9.8 million has been cut from the fiscal year 2023 budget, but allowing $9.8 million to roll back in means part of the budget is status quo or even. This week, the spending comes to the Appropriations Committee with Republican Representative Gary Worthen addressing this particular budget item. The $9.8 million is, is allocated um, Department of Corrections anticipates adding about 200 employees, the bulk of those being corrections officers. It's a struggle to find people. They're having uh, a hard time finding qualified candidates, and uh, we're, they're just going to have to work through this, and, and the money's there to hire the people. There is a proposed overall increase for fiscal year 2023 of $7.1 million. Appropriations Committee Democratic Representative Brian Meyer says it's not enough. I think we are playing with fire. I think there's a significant staff shortage within the Department of Corrections. And it's only a matter of time before something happens again, like happened at Anamosa last year. I'm asking my caucus to oppose this budget at this point. I think we can do better with staffing at the Department of Corrections. This appropriations bill advances from the committee. The House's total proposal for the Department of Corrections is $415 million. The governor's recommendation is $407 million, which is the same as last year's appropriation. Here's a point of timeline comparison for possible legislative action. It was late May 2021 before the full House passed last year's Department of Corrections budget after rejecting a smaller proposal from the Senate. This is the legislative podcast Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. These days, there's an app for everything. Now there's an app for everything you love about Iowa Public Radio local newscasts and stories from the voices you trust, your favorite public radio shows and podcasts, plus the music to soundtrack your day. You can have it all in the IPR app. Find it in app stores or at IPR.org app. The practice of midwifery is sometimes referred to as holistic. It includes a client's emotional and physical care during the pregnancy as well as after the birth. 
A midwife can't perform some tasks, like a cesarean section, or some of the more advanced procedures a physician can in a hospital. Often, the birthing with a midwife happens in the home. During the last two years, home births have increased by 20% a year. In Iowa, the practice of midwifery operates in a gray area. It's not licensed, and there are restrictions on what a certified professional midwife can do. This bill establishes a board of midwifery under the Department of Public Health. A bill comes before a Senate subcommittee to offer licensing of midwifery in Iowa. 37 other states have licensing for midwifery. We need this licensure bill so we can practice within our full scope. Bethany Gates is a certified professional midwife. She is credentialed by the North American Registry of Midwives. Practically speaking, when I practice here in the state, I can't get access to Pitocin or Cytotec. Those are medications used to manage a hemorrhage. It's, it, it's within my scope of practice to carry those and utilize those, but you cannot purchase them without um, a state license. I know the question has come up, what if we just allow you to practice. I literally cannot get them without providing a state license. Gates says a midwife isn't guaranteed collaborations with physicians and isn't always able to order lab work or ultrasounds. If there is a problem that requires taking a patient to a hospital, the transfer may not go well. Last year, I had a client turned away from the hospital in labor because, in their words, she was high risk because she was planning a home birth with an unlicensed provider. Um, So I lost sleep over that. And my client was told she could consent to a cesarean or she could leave the hospital. Um, She was not high risk. We were not making an emergency transfer. She chose to leave the hospital where she had a vaginal birth. After that hospital gave her the appropriate care we transferred for. Gates also says in some cases, a midwife can be charged for practicing medicine without a license. For me personally, it's an access issue in rural Iowa. Megan Day is a doula. A doula assists a midwife and also works with the family of the mother for emotional support. These are experts in out-of-hospital, low-risk childbirth. They are the experts in that. Um, We don't have other physicians attending out-of-hospital births, and it is entirely legal for women to have a baby wherever they'd like to have the baby. This bill will also help with access to insurance coverage. Certainly support the intent of expanding access to maternal health providers, um, but we want to do so in a way that is safe and doesn't place women's lives and babies' lives at risk. Dennis Tibben lobbies for the Iowa Medical Society and the Iowa Chapter for American Academy of Pediatrics. Under this piece of legislation, there are no restrictions on the type of births that could be overseen by a direct entry lay midwife. So that includes those high-risk pregnancies where there's a high likelihood that there are going to be complications at the time of birth and that we need to have a process in place to make sure that those babies are very quickly transferred to a higher level of care to be able to save their life. Scott Sunderstrom from Blue Cross Blue Shield also opposes this bill. The bill does have a coverage mandate for, it's not just licensure, but there is a must cover services by this new type of licensed midwife. Um, And so we have concerns about that based on all the reasons you've heard from the provider groups and, you know, potential lack of coordination of care and higher risk and all of that that you've heard. This bill also creates a board of midwifery. It would regulate midwifery using standards established by national midwifery organizations. The chair of this subcommittee, Republican Senator Chris Kenoyer, says she will sign this bill to advance it, but has reservations about this proposed board. I'm concerned about the costs given the licensing and the ability to maintain the board 
also concerned about the makeup of the board um, too. So I have questions about that. So I would like to move it forward with an amendment so we can keep the conversation going. The bill advances from the subcommittee. And the next day, it is in the full committee where Senator Kenoyer presents an amendment to this bill. It is what is called a strike after amendment, meaning it eliminates everything in the bill. It's one page and only makes available to a midwife a specialty occupational license for medical reimbursement. But it's contingent on another bill becoming law that so far has only passed in the Senate. It's a complicated bill. One part of it that would apply to this midwifery amendment states an unregulated health profession can't be regulated except for the sole purpose of protecting public health or safety. Senator Knoyer says one reason she is striking the bill is due to its requirements for the majority of the board of midwifery members to be certified by a national midwife organization. If we are wanting midwives to practice their full scope of practice, then we should not jump ahead first into establishing a board that is stacked with four members requiring certification by the North American Registry of Midwives, which constitutes a majority of voting members. The public member maintains association with the practice, so there is not clear non-industry input in the process. This provides major ethical and potential antitrust activity concerns. This bill, as dramatically altered, advances from the full committee. The House of Representatives already passed the original version of the bill 93-2. to If the Senate takes this bill up for debate and passes it, it will then have to go back to the House, where they may vote for it, amend it to something different, or amend it back to its original form. It's not the first session where a proposal has been introduced about midwifery. In fact, there are a number of other subjects that come up most years at the legislature. This is, it's the bottle bill. Like Iowa's four-decade-old container redemption law. Since the 1980s, Iowans have paid a deposit of five cents on various beverage containers. A person can redeem that nickel at the place the beverage was purchased or a redemption center, except many retailers aren't following the law and refuse to redeem cans and bottles. Over the years, there have been many bills to repeal or change the law, but none of them have ever made it through the legislative process. Bottle bill seems to be popular in Iowa yet today. There's a recent poll that verifies that. Republican Senator Ken Rosenboom is the author of the latest proposed change to the state's bottle bill. He's speaking at a Senate Ways and Means subcommittee. We all know the redemption centers have been starving for years and they have been closing for years and that's because the one penny handling fee. When a redemption center takes a can, they are only given one cent per can. For years, these centers have been wanting more to stay afloat. As to the cans that aren't redeemed anywhere, where does that five cents go? There's a growing annual uh, pool of money, the unredeemed nickels, that uh, the latest I've heard from someone that would know, Dermot Hayes at Iowa State, is he's talking about 46 to $48 million a year. Dermot Hayes is an economics professor at Iowa State University. The unclaimed redemption money goes back to the distributors, but there is no requirement to account or trace any of that money, so the actual amount distributors are hanging on to isn't known. In the past, many grocers have supported efforts to get container redemption out of the grocery stores. This bill would allow a store to opt out if a redemption center is within 20 miles. Ann Roth lobbies for the grocery store Hy-Vee and supports this bill. We believe it modernizes the current system to help expand redemption by increasing the handling fee for redemption center sustainability. 
Second, it enables choice for retailers to opt out of taking back the cans and bottles. And third, we appreciate the efforts to utilize unredeemed nickels already within the system to help support the overall redemption infrastructure that the, that the state actually created with the bottle bill originally. This proposal increases the amount redemption centers receive from one cent to two cents per container. The Iowa Recycling Association is undecided on this bill. Their lobbyist R.G. Schwarm says the deposit should be higher. He cites Connecticut's recent law increasing their container change from five cents to ten. A proposal like that in Iowa could give redemption centers more pennies per container. They also expanded to include non-carbonated beverages because they recognize consumer trends are showing less pop sold and more sports drinks and teas and coffees. And to address, uh, and from the Recycling Association, to address the growing plastic crisis that we hear, now not so much in Iowa, we're landlocked in the middle of the country, but a big reason why all the European countries are going this is because of all of the uh, environmental concerns with plastic. As to the unrefunded deposits, this bill requires sellers to send unclaimed deposits to the Department of Revenue. It will be placed in a bottle bill deposit fund run by the Alcoholic Beverages Division. Every month, they will send redemption centers the amount they paid consumers for returns, plus the two cents per container from this fund. The remaining money will be transferred to the Taxpayer Relief Fund. Iowa Wholesale Beer and Distributors Association Executive Director David Edelman opposes this provision. Basically what this bill is doing is removing private innovation and expanding government by adding an additional bureau within the alcohol beverage division to not only take alcoholic containers that are subject to, uh, to redemption, but also the non-alcoholic pieces as well. This bill passes out of the subcommittee with the two Republican senators signing off on it. A few days later, it comes to the full committee. One of those panelists, Republican Senator Jason Schultz, announces a strikethrough amendment which rewrites the entire bill. We do need to save the policy of the bottle bill because every poll shows, every forum that I go to shows, every central committee I show, go go-to shows, and my own family shows that they want to have it. Iowans love the bottle bill, and it is our job to, uh, uh, to come up with a way to, to do that. Uh, we also need to move something that the House can accept and uh, consider in a, in a sincere uh, manner, and I believe this amendment uh, will do that. Senator Schultz says this amendment will increase the fees to redemption centers from the current rate of one cent per container to three cents. It also allows for more retailers like grocery stores to opt out of taking containers. There's a little bit of cleanup here, but the main provisions are it, it provides an increased handling fee of three cents, so we're adding two cents uh, for redemption centers. Grocery stores through transition for a year will be it will remain at one one cent, uh, after which they'll have an opt-out provision. The committee is also meeting on the last day legislators are all gathered at the Capitol for the week. And because it is a committee, there isn't the testimony aspect of a subcommittee where lobbyists or members of the public speak. Democratic Senator Bill Donsler says he received this strike after amendment for the bill about an hour before this committee meeting. You know, I got handed this amendment uh, this morning at 10 o'clock and, you know, being a strike after bill, uh, it's kind of frustrating. I don't know what happened to having a committee work that allows people to be involved in it 
And I don't even know why we're having subcommittee meetings anymore if we get this kind of thing. Um, the step is being, being jumped over. And the public has been left out of this uh, opportunity to have their input. During the first few months of the pandemic, the governor issued a proclamation exempting retailers from having to accept containers for redemption. After the proclamation expired, Fairway grocery stores announced they would not resume accepting containers despite the fact it is illegal to do so. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach doesn't support this amendment or the bill that was advanced from the committee days earlier. He says enforcement of the present law is the solution. There's been a complete lack of enforcement on the part of the Reynolds administration. This is a popular law, and the, uh, many of the grocery stores are, are scoffing that law and facing no consequences from the current administration. We need to reinforce the bottle bill. We don't need to gut it. This amended version no longer has the accountability for unredeemed nickels. Democratic Senator Jill Bolcom says this amendment bows to special interests. You, you continue to allow the, the people making pop and beer to keep $50 million a year of Iowa, of Iowa taxpayers' money, and they're not getting the service. People want these cans recycled and reused, and this bill will not do it. The bill passes out of the Ways and Means Committee. There are other container redemption proposals in the House as well. And while it's not wise for journalists to make predictions, I'll break that rule by saying whatever form these bills are in today is likely to change in ways that are surprising, at least to some. Earlier this week, during the final House State Government Committee, there was a surprise. A bill about cosmetology that passed in the Senate a few weeks ago got an amendment about eminent domain. If you are thinking cosmetology and eminent domain are unrelated, you are correct. This rare legislative procedure was used to introduce a bill that stops companies from building a carbon capture pipeline on property where landowners object. While the concept has some democratic support, they objected to this last-minute legislative procedure from Republicans. I'm John Pimple. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland and Iowa Public Radio News Program Director Katherine Perkins. Story help comes from Iowa Public Radio's Statehouse reporter Katerina Sostarik, also from IPR reporter Natalie Krebs, and Radio Iowa's Kay Henderson. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman. If you haven't subscribed to this show, do that now wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.